Hello, I'm Haley, and this is Straight Talk with the Doc, the podcast that breaks down topics on addiction, mental health, and treatment. I'm joined by our expert and medical director, Dr. Bott, and our content director, Jeff. How are you two doing today? Doing well, Haley. How about you guys? I'm doing well. It's a good day today. I'm doing well, too. So in previous episodes, we've talked about mental health disorders and their connection to addiction. But today we're going to take some time and break down a pretty common mood disorder, depression. Dr. Bach, can you kind of start by telling us how common is depression? When we look at it, depression is one of the most common mental health disorders that we have. And uh, it affects women and men a variety of ages throughout the lifespan. And it's a huge, it's a huge topic that uh, you will see when we speak about mental illness as a whole and uh, those who suffer with addiction and how often depression comes up when, uh, you know, we speak about that. Okay. Are there like different levels of severity for depression? Depression is often qualified and classified in a variety of ways. But most people, when we hear about depression, we're talking about, you know, clinical depression when we're speaking about, you know, treatment and we're speaking about addiction. And, you know, there are many types, major depression being one of them. There's also a thing called persistent depressive disorder. Or also, It was known as dysthymia before. There's depression that occurs in the scope of other mood disorders like bipolar disorder. And then there are unspecified depressive disorders. And depression can also be secondary to, you know, periods of adjustment or grief periods where we're using substances and um, medical medical conditions that can cause depression. So depression exists in many different forms and can occur, you know, uh, secondary or as a primary, you know, mental health issue. Okay. Can you kind of explain like what's going on in the brain of someone with depression? And, you know, is that different if it's primary or secondary? Well, when we look at depression as a primary mental health illness, we're talking about people who have, you know, the science shows that there are neurobiological, you know, dysregulation that occurs. And, you know, we, we, we try to see if somebody has a, a primary mental health condition, a primary depression, excuse me, that, um, you know, often they are treated with psychotherapy. And believe it or not, a lot of therapeutic interventions have proven to actually alter, you know, the brain's neurochemistry. So the neurochemical underpinnings and dysregulation has been hypothesized as, as a major cause of somebody to feel depressed. And that's really our hallmark of, um, you know, treatment when it comes to medications it is to, you know, re-regulate or rebalance those, you know, altered neuro, neurochemicals. So, um, yeah, that's basically the, the underlying, to be succinct, that's the underlying understood causative agent of depression. Could you kind of break down, like, some of the most common symptoms? Depression is, um, again, we, we talked about just a few moments ago, it, there's different severities of depression. It can be mild, moderate, and severe. But according to some of the you know textbooks that we have, 
and the criteria that's established by the American Psychiatric Association, you know, the hallmark for depression is persistent sad mood. Sad mood that can be accompanied by hopelessness, isolation, changes in energy, sleep patterns, loss of interest. This can become very persistent that, you know, somebody stops taking care of themselves in terms of their hygiene. Um, you know, the things that they experienced that used to make them happy before, they're no longer feeling pleasure out of them. And it, it should be causing a functional change. So, you know, a lot of times I think we, we, we toss that word around and say, hey, I feel depressed today. So feeling sad, you know, momentarily or to a specific situation, yeah, that can be a depressed mood for that moment, but that's not clinical depression. Clinical depression is understood, you know, by a, a, a general per, persistent um, mood change. And that should be evident by the way, you know, somebody can observe um, a functional change in, in that person. So, um, again, I, I, I don't want to go into too much extent, but uh, because, you know, the criteria is specific to the different kind of depression, but, you know, sustained sadness, hopelessness, that's really the hallmark criteria of somebody who suffers with clinical depression. So are you kind of saying that the symptoms are different in different people almost? Yeah, because, you know, how depression is experienced with um, amongst children and adolescents is different than adults, for example. Irritability is often a common, you know, sign or symptom, excuse me, of depression in children. They might not be able to articulate that they're feeling sad or they don't have, you know, the interest in things that used to make them happy before, but it can be, you know, evident by their behaviors. They become withdrawn or they become angry and things that, you know, would normally not make them upset will get them, you know, to have a tempered outburst. So those are different. And then, you know, people who have, you know, atypical depression, for example, they're depressed, but then a positive stimuli, a positive situation, an environmental condition can break that depression momentarily. So there's so many different, you know, symptoms and relationships um, that can, you know, exacerbate symptoms or not. And, you know, definitely depression looks different based on the individual. Going off of that question, you know, I know you sort of already answered this, but it's just such an important topic that I want to ask you again. You know, what are the signs that someone that you know might be struggling with depression? So I mentioned that you have to see like some functional change. And again, nothing is absolute in life. You know, we try to identify and classify diagnoses um, to kind of show the most common presentations. But if you see somebody changing the way that they behave, they become more isolated, they're withdrawn. You can see they're being, you know, apathetic. They're no longer taking care of themselves. You know, they, they, even the way that they dress or their smell, they're, they're not bathing or changing their clothes as often. You can see them maybe pursue um, alternative ways to feel happy, drugs, alcohol. These are often signs that other people can see that, you know, this person might be suffering with depression. And, um, you know, that can become even more severe 
you know, people start to often harm themselves, which is one of the worst things that we can see when somebody's suffering with depression is if they ultimately end up um, with self-harm or suicidality or suicide attempts. So all of those things, it's such a broad range of symptoms. I would like to, you know, dive into the drug and alcohol addiction and depression a little bit more later. But first, can you kind of tell me about the treatment options that are available for someone with depression? With many different illnesses, it's often best to see if we can avoid medication. Obviously, depending on the severity of uh, somebody's, you know, presentation, you know, we, we gauge what would be the best and most appropriate intervention to paste on the presentation. But, you know, generally, I think I and many other clinicians, we like to try conservative approaches, meaning without medication, see if something in their environment can change. Also, um, using psychotherapeutic interventions, cognitive behavioral therapies, which help people identify, you know, negative thoughts and behaviors that are associated with them and see if that can improve. And, and, and the, 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 the research shows that therapy works in treatment of depression. But sometimes these therapeutic measures and um, the, the behavioral changes don't work. You know, medications may be indicated. So we have a wide array of antidepressant medications that can be used. And, you know, depending on the class of those medications and uh, the response that the patient may have, you, we can see uh, improvement um, with those symptoms. So, um, you know, there are some things that maybe people uh, have heard about in the past is even, you know, transmagnetic stimulation, there's electroconvulsive therapies. Those are often reserved for people who have often treatment resistant depression or depression that hasn't improved with multiple trials of medications and therapies. So again, just like, you know, everything, there's, there's a wide range of uh, different uh, therapeutic interventions that we have, therapy all the way to, you know, getting hospitalized and maybe even having, like I said, that electroconvulsive therapy. For people who are struggling with depression, I know it can feel hopeless. You know, they feel like they're never going to get better. But is it possible to fully recover from depression? Or is this something that these people are going to kind of just have to deal with, you know, for the rest of their lives? You see, many people have episodes of depression, even major depression, and they might not have similar episodes again in the future. Then we see other individuals who have major depressive episodes, which tend to cycle if left untreated. So it really depends on the individual. It's important though, that if you are diagnosed and you are, you know, suffering with depression that you do get that that treatment because the the outcomes and the prevention of relapsing um is um is there um if if left untreated that the relapse potential is is it's higher so to answer your question you know it depends on the individual some people can experience a, a major depressive or depressive episode and not have them again in the future but oftentimes when people suffer from those major um, changes um, in, in their mood, which ends up classifying them as major depression, we often see that happening again in the future. But the prognosis can be uh, better if you know people um, 
learn from what has worked for them therapeutically. And sometimes people have to remain on medications or stay in therapy for extended periods of time to prevent, you know, relapse of their symptomatology. But um, we do see improvement in, in symptoms with the proper treatment. I want to talk to you about the medications a little bit. I feel like some people might be hesitant to start the medications because they may assume that they're going to have to take them forever. So can someone take medications temporarily and then taper off? Or for some people, will they have to take medications for their entire life? Yeah, that's that's a good question because, like you said, many people are hesitant to take medicines. And um, understandably, you know, medications come with side effects. But in the, in the case of, you know, you know, what you just mentioned. Yeah, many people will take it under the guidance of their physician and they might only have to take it for a limited time. If the physician sees improvement in symptomatology and, you know, with that therapeutic relationship and understanding that the patient and the doctor have, you know, some people might have to take it just for a limited time. Then there might be individuals who have demonstrated cycles of depression where we do see that, trials of taking them off have not worked and they have persistent depression that you know tends to relapse very quickly and um, those people might have to stay on antidepressants um, for their lifetime it is very important to always taper down from antidepressant medications um, under the supervision of your therapist and your medical team because they can have some side effects that are kind of unpleasant and you will experience withdrawal like symptoms with many depression medications. Yeah, Jeff, that's, that's again, you know, you, you raise a good point that, um, anything, any medication, if you're prescribed something by a physician, it's important that, you know, you speak with them coming off of medications without the proper guidance, without the proper titration, as you mentioned, Jeff, yeah, you can have negative, negative side effects. And, um, you know, if, if you speak with your doctor, you know, you ask the right questions, you become aware, hopefully the doctor provides you with that information when you provide informed consent, when you start medications in the first place, you know, you can see which ones might have increased, um, you know, propensity to develop those withdrawal symptoms or side effects. But nothing should be done without speaking to your physician first. Uh, again, you know, sometimes people do stop when they initially start when uh, side effects come out. And of course, if the side effects are extremely unpleasant, that we, we I wouldn't want somebody to, you know, muscle through without, without you know, considering stopping at that time. But um, yeah, medications can have negative effects. But, uh, you know, that's why we look at the risks versus benefits of any sort of therapeutic intervention uh, for any sort of uh, illness. While we're on this topic, I wanted to ask Dr. Bott, do you often see people with depression self-medicating? As it relates to addiction and other, you know, um, maybe physical illnesses or other, other things that are going on in your life, yeah, people medicate themselves just to feel better. And... Uh, you know, often it's self-medication. We, when we speak about that, we're, we're talking about using, you know, alcohol or illicit substances. I wish people self-medicated with exercise and, and, and healthy things. 
which people do. Those people who have good coping mechanisms or those people who have the support system and the wherewithal to do it. But unfortunately, you know, we are human. We often don't make the right choices. And sometimes, you know, depending on our lives and our exposures to different things, we do self-medicate with the wrong thing. And um, being that, uh, you know, I know you're not specifically just asking about substances of abuse, but, you know, being that when you use a substance, it's such a powerful agent in changing your state of mind. You know, that's a huge risk factor um, for developing or using substances further. If I'm depressed and I take something and it makes me feel better, well, that's a recipe for self-medicating and using um, something again, uh, often to my detriment. I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, substances of abuse. Are some substances more commonly abused in those with depression than others? We see um, the whole gamut, you know. Um, I think just having depression in itself, it is known as a risk factor um, to develop substance use disorders if you are, you know, gen genetically predisposed or have other uh, additional, you know, circumstances in your life. But uh, now, uh, I think when it comes to the substances with depression, we often see, you know, um, a wide variety, anything from alcohol to cocaine to, um, you know, benzodiazepines to opiates. Um, we see it all with those who suffer with depression. So are those with depression at an increased risk to develop an addiction? We look at the risk of developing addiction. Scientifically, we've understood that, you know, genetics, our makeup, our underlying framework, that plays about 50% chance of uh, a risk of us developing. Um, it's, it's based on um, who, who we are, how we're made up. We don't know in advance. Uh, I mean, I know that there are family histories and there are certain genes that are identified with uh, susceptibility to develop uh, a substance use disorder. But, you know, this unknown variable that's there that we don't know in advance what's going to um, increase our chances right away once alcohol or substances are introduced to us. We don't know what relationship will ultimately develop. So that underlying framework is there. But the other 50% is everything else. And the presence or absence of mental health conditions or physical conditions is a huge risk factor for developing, um, you know, further substance abuse disorder and uh, depression being one of them. So going back to kind of what you said earlier, you know, we we're talking about self-medicating and, you know, obviously it'd be great if people self-medicated with exercise and a healthy diet, but, you know, unfortunately that's not always the reality. So for somebody who is self-medicating, how do different substances interact with someone with depression? You know, if somebody is drinking a lot, is that going to worsen their symptoms? Different substances of abuse have different characteristics. And some can tend to worsen depression, and some can tend have a tendency to temporarily alleviate them. Well, when we talk about self-medicating, you know, at some point, some point in the range of substance abuse, you know, somebody is feeling better when they're using, you know? So when we look at, you know, how substance, addictive substances work or, you know, illicit substances or even alcohol, they, they, they tend to make people feel good, or at least that's the intention when somebody's using it. Um, and that's often when 
you know, the substance is introduced, neurochemicals like dopamine and other um, pleasure chemicals that are there, uh, they're increased in, in our body. So, you know, depending on the substance, we do feel a pleasurable, uh, rewarding sensation. But then beyond that, there are more substances that, uh, there are substances that are more, more classified as depressants in terms of the fact that they, they sedate you, they, 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 they slow down the central nervous system. And these are substances like alcohol or, or benzodiazepines and even opiates to a degree. You know, I know many people who use heroin or opiate products, they feel good initially, but you know, the more we use them, there is that, um, you know, depressive effect. Uh, similarly, uh, or I'm sorry, on the other side, we have, you know, elevating um, stimulant type classes of, of substances like cocaine or methamphetamines. And those aren't classified as depressants because they tend to, you know, boost you up, increase your energy. But with that, you can become more paranoid or you can become uh, psychotic. So um, as a class, you know, the alcohol, the benzodiazepine, the sedative hypnotics, those things tend to be more depressive in terms of, you know, slowing down our central nervous system. So somebody who's suffering with depression might end up feeling more depressed quicker with those substances. But although the initial feeling might be one of, you know, you know, feeling more calm or, or euphoric. So, but in the end game, I always say, um, you know, for every substance that we use, for every action that it has, our body will provide or an equal and opposite reaction. So um, if these drugs are abused to make us feel good, once the drugs are removed, we all going to feel bad. So kind of the class of drugs does affect symptoms differently. Definitely. Yeah. You know, you can be more quickly synergized with sedatives on top of depression. But again, the more, you know, um, you use even a stimulant, once the stimulant starts to get removed, the opposite reaction of depression will set in. So can you get treatment for depression while you're still dealing with an addiction? Yeah, it, many treatment centers, if not most that we know of, they are going to, um, you know, help somebody understand, you know, are the presentations that they're facing, you know, um, the depression and the substance abuse or whatever other psychiatric condition that they might be um, going through, you know, they, they, they should be or would offer treatment for both. And it's important that we identify this. You know, um, a lot of times it could be the depression that's causing someone to pursue substances um, or the substances are causing the depression. So a proper psychiatric evaluation and assessment uh, through a clinician, through a psychiatrist, uh, it is important. And then, of, of course, the treatment has to be done. Oftentimes when um, the depression is secondary, once the substance is removed and people enter recovery, um, they notice that their mood starts to uh, improve. But with a good evaluation, good history taking, good collab collateral information, um, you know, we often can recognize that, you know, the substance use is uh, because someone is having an underlying depression that needs to be treated. And then, uh, you know, once the, there's no contraindication if somebody's often going through you know, acute withdrawal and the detoxification period, sometimes we want to make sure that the person is washed out 
from all of their substances before we start any medication. But once that's done, if there is a primary depression, yeah, you know, medication or treatment um, therapies um, should be started, you know, very soon. So as somebody in your field, how could friends or family convince someone, like a loved one in their life, to get treatment who is struggling with depression, addiction, you know, maybe both or just one or the other? For the, the family members, they probably have tried, you know, many times to... Um, talk to somebody and especially if you're suffering with an addiction you know you're not in the right state of mind you know your 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 mind and your brain your body it's 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 a hijack with the substance of abuse so trying to talk rationally and convince them like the word you use it's it's very difficult so you know our often suggestions is just trying to catch them when they are not intoxicated um you know and then try to have a clear conversation at that time um, sometimes it's not that easy because we bring a lot of feelings with us when we're family members and we often have to, you know, solicit the, uh, help of, uh, professionals. Often there's an interventionalist trained individuals, or even through their own experience able to, you know, get involved and help, you know, speak to a loved one to help them get help uh, and find help. Uh, and then sometimes, unfortunately we have to, uh, you know, bring the law and get the law involved. You know, there are different states, um, statutes that exist in different states that help uh, loved ones who do see, um, you know, their family members who are suffering with addiction and mental illness who might be to the point where they're in imminent danger. There are uh, involuntary, you know, um, processes that can help people, uh, unfortunately, against their will, get into treatment. But it's better to do that and have them be safe than unfortunately, you know, have the, the negative consequences of, you know, of potentially dying. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough question that you're asking because, you know, it's hard to convince anybody that doesn't want help themselves. But, um, you know, there, there are stages in trying to talk to them when they're often in a, in a moment of sobriety is the best option. I think, um, we tend to react when somebody's, you know, um, using and acting out and uh, trying to talk to them then, but that's usually um, not going to work. So those are some of the steps that we can use. Dr. Bott, is there anything else on this topic that you think is important for people to know? You know, depression is a major issue uh, for, for, for us and individuals around the world. It's something that is quite a prevalent mental health condition substances of abuse unfortunately um as i mentioned before you know there's a that's a temporary fix you know people do end up trying to use and self-medicate when they have underlying depression and it gets so blurry that we don't know if depression was the cause or the depression was the you know consequence but at the end of the day you know um, that treatment and professional help it's, it's warranted, it's needed. So for those individuals out there who are listening, who are suffering, you know, um, if you want to get rid of that suffering, you know, seeking professional help is, is the proper route. You know, you don't have to go at it alone. There are people and there are um, centers and there are um, a, a wide variety of options to um, get help. And similarly for family members, you know, 
um, help is there and help is available. And um, it, it can look very, you know, it can look very uh, difficult and um, hard, but um, with resources that might be available, like on addictioncenter.com, you know, help and recovery is there and is available. Absolutely. You know, I really want to reiterate that, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's struggling with depression or addiction, there is help out there. You don't have to go through it alone. I know it can feel like things won't get better, but there are a lot of resources and people who are waiting to help you. For help with drug or alcohol abuse, addictioncenter.com has resources and is also just a great place to learn more. You can check out more podcast episodes on Addiction Center, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we hope to have you again for another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.